those people that have been building something very successful and that have become, you know, uh, very rich very quickly, they need to be seeing something that other people are not seeing, right? This is their age in the market and this is why they make so much money. So not seeing that from SBF is a sign that is a fraudulent or somehow corrupted, right? Like the money doesn't come from where you think it's going or there is no money in there. It's, it's one or the other. It seems like it was both with <laughs> it was both with SBF. Hi, this is David Gerard, author of Attack of the 50-Foot Blockchain and Notorious Crypto Hater. You're listening to Coin Fugazi. Sell all your coins. Because that's a Fugazi. All right. That's a Fugazi. How do you know it's a Fugazi? You looked at it for two seconds. What is a fake? fake? Yeah, I know what a Fugazi is. It's all a Fugazi. You know what a Fugazi is? No. Fugazi, it's a fake. Yeah, Fugazi, Fugazi, it's a wazi, it's a woozy, it's a fairy dust. Coin Fugazi. Coin Fugazi. Coin Fugazi. Coin Fugazi. Coin Fugazi. We have decided to liquidate SBF, FTZ, CZ, and a week that shook the world Satoshi created. It's an original serial from CoinFugazi, and this installment is with Bitcoin ABC founder Amari Sachet. He's arguably best known as the engineer bold enough to fork Bitcoin in a serious, meaningful way, and that led to a time when really that fork, BCH, became a real rival to Bitcoin supremacy for a few years. All of his work culminated into eCash, ticker XEC, an innovative crypto that's incorporating Avalanche tech, among other features, to carry the industry forward. And you can find out more about eCash out at e.cash. That's e.cash. Amari Sachet, welcome to Point Fugazi, brother. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, um, I love our conversations. I always learn stuff. I always get a ton out of them. And so I figured to talk about the players here, um, you're in, in, in more recent years, you've become uh, an outward facing presence, which is very different for devs. They usually kind of sit in the background and they do their thing. And so you've done a lot of media, but importantly, and more importantly, in my opinion, you're in the background, you know, the scaffolding, you know, the uh, the infrastructure, you know, all the all the all the tech uh, isms and, and techno babble and all that good stuff, and you know how to tell the difference. Um, you've also had a kind of a long history with some of the players, notably Cheng Peng Zhao, CZ. CZ has come off as kind of a hero in this. He's kind of like the guy who who you know took down the the eight hundred pound gorilla. Um, tell us a little bit about sort of your comings and going with CZ and Binance and your, your measure of the man, if, if, if you know much about him. Yeah. So I, I don't really know him personally, but obviously he's been in the space for a long time. Um, even before Binance, he was already working with, um, you know, like exchanges and stuff like that. Like the first time I think I heard of him was when there was this dispute between Roger Ver and OKX about uh, the use of the bitcoin.com domain and uh he came up in in support of roger Ver, um and you know like explaining the situation and it seems like very level-headed at the time 
no, specifically for Binance, I think, you know, the, the thing that really Binance brought to the table is all these gross hacking techniques that we've seen uh, social network before, before crypto use. And that allowed him to grow very big and capture a lot of market very fast. He also always has been very open to adopt like all the new technologies that have been brought in the space. Uh, some of them good, some of them bad. But I think the, the um, attitude that Binance has taken is that they are the marketplace. They are not there to decide what are the good and the bad tokens, right? And, and what are the good and the bad project. They are just going to let the, let the market deal with it. So that assumes some responsibility from the part of the users, but it's, it's a good approach. Um, quite some time ago, we had various discussion about that, like when exchanges were listing, you know, things like BSV or X or, you know, like mm -hmm. are a bit, you know, a bit fishy. Um, and they essentially, to me, there are, there are two approaches that do make sense, right? Like one of them would be, the approach that Coinbase used to have, I don't know if there is really an exchange like that anymore, but, you know, Coinbase used to be very selective about the token that they list. And you knew that if you were trading something on Coinbase, this was a project that, you know, like made sense and was solid. It's not a guarantee that the price go up, right? But it's at least a guarantee that it's not a scam and, and that, you know, it's a real legitimate project. And then on the other side, you have exchanges like Binance, um, that list everything, right? And, and they're going to tell you, well, this is not up to us to make the selection. We're just like listing everything. And then this is up to the public to decide. Um, those are the two approaches that make sense, I think. Um, so in that sense, you know, uh, Binance, yeah, Binance with these two aspects has brought, you know, itself like quite a reputation in the space and i think it's deserved from a business perspective it does make a lot of sense that they get all that credit he, it's not the first time he's kind of played quasi savior as you alluded to um i guess uh, more famously he uh he basically said he would not list uh, bsv and uh, that kind of started a chain reaction i think uh kraken did the same and uh and some others and um, so, well, that's yeah, not exactly what happened, right? Okay. I think they listed BSV first, but when Craig Wright started to, you know, uh, litigation against exchanges and, you know, various people in the space, developers and stuff like that, then, um, then he decided to come around and not list it, which I think makes sense. Um, and, and yeah, then you have other exchanges like Kraken that are a bit more conservative that were like, we're not going to list it you know, at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm glad you, you clarified that. Um, he is a very interesting figure in the sense that he's both the uh, part of the cause of the FTX uh, contagion in the sense that Binance, uh, I guess, you know, basically helped fund FTX in a weird way. And then, in accepting that that FTT token, um, obviously he he decided to to liquidate as is the the title of our, our serial here. Um, so there's it's interesting because I, I before we came on, he someone had had said you know where's all the FTT or what you do with the FTT? He's like we're still holding the bags. Um, so in in a in a even weirder way, 
he kind of hurt himself, <laughs> um, at least in the in the short term, right? Um, yes and no, right? Because the value of the FTT was really uh, on paper, right? There was no real value behind it because FTX was insolvent. So I don't know if they realized that or not, but by selling at least part of it at a loss, obviously they took quite a big loss. It, you know, it, it's still a way for them to get some value out of it. Whereas for people that came in later, they got no value out of it, right? So in a sense, it was good for them. Yeah. And I think it was trading at around 22 is sort of the famous, um, the famous number that, I'm, that sticks in my head, 22 bucks. <laughs> Um, a token. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, here is the deal. Like FTX was insolvent. This is really what they went in there, right? And the fact that Binance dumped those uh, FTT token was the trigger for that information to be revealed. But eventually that information would have been received, re- uh, revealed, right? Because they have, I think they had like almost 10 billion of assets in their management. Mm-hmm. But like right now, the contability says that they have less less than a million in in asset in their vault, right? So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so there is like ninety nine point nine percent of the money missing. Um, and you, when you have like ninety nine point nine of the money missing, you know, percent of the money missing, then it's just a matter of time before uh, someone notices. Yeah, and for him, so I. In my mind, when when I saw the tweet, it, it just didn't I, it didn't register. I mean, I knew that that wasn't going to be a good thing. That over he said over a six month period, uh, that they would be drawing down on their um, on their FTT holdings and uh, certain disclosures. He was you know cryptic, but you know you know he wasn't a brat about it. He literally could have just dumped it um, on on retail and had them eat it up and and just kind of quietly collect. Uh, you know, whatever, uh, maybe uh, billions himself, um, relatively speaking, it just kind of, you know, naturally took the price down, assuming, um, you know, the, the, the sell pressure. But um, instead, he, he, you know, did it transparently. Um, do you think there's something more sinister behind that? Or because or, he's, he's claiming whenever I see him talk about it, people assign him all this great, you know, you took down the, you know, he slayed the dragon. He goes, ah, not that smart. I was just being transparent, just kind of telling you. What we're I, I'm, doing. Yeah, I'm not sure that they knew the extent to which FTX was insolvent. That, that is not clear, right? Because then they tried to buy FTX back and they sent, you know, lawyer and accountant and stuff like that to review the books. So clearly um, they didn't know at least the extent of the damage, right? They didn't know the extent to which FTX was insolvent. No, but even if XTX is not insolvent, I think it makes sense for Binance to sell those tokens and they probably should not have accepted them in the first place, right? Because they they invest in, XT, in FTX, but the value of FTX uh, in that investment is based on the holding of those tokens that they created themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I let's say, you know, I have a company, I create this token, uh, I said this token is worth like $2 billion, uh, in, in terms of market cap. And now the company is issuing those tokens. So the company is worth $2 billion, And now I'm taking investor money and I'm going to give them this token um, as, you know, as a collateral after the investment. Uh, that does not make sense, right? Like this is an accounting trick. There is no value there. Uh, so I don't think that 
I don't think it makes sense for Binance to have accepted those tokens in the first place. And I think at some point they realized that they were like, oh, oh, you know, like this is like the value of that thing is completely circular and <laughs> it comes from nowhere. It's just accounting. So we probably need to get rid of that. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> from my understanding, the trigger came from a Coindesk article um, that uh, that sort of revealed it. Uh, and I'm not sure where they got their info from. Uh, but a few days before November 6th, I believe it was on the 2nd of November, uh, Coindesk published that. And then it was certain revelations, blah, blah, blah. And I'm wondering if, if which, I mean, obviously, popularly, I know which comes first, um, the Coindesk article and then CZ's tweet. But I'm wondering if maybe someone inside Binance was like, holy moly, we got to, we got to, you know, do something. We got to, you know, and fed Coindesk and then Coindesk, you know, prints it. And then he goes, oh, geez, hands are tied, guys. <laughs> um, you know, sort of thing. Like I, I'm, I'm really curious about it and how that, how that all kind of, kind of played out. You think Binance would have tipped Coindex? Uh, uh, well, I don't it, know. It, the thing is, what, here's, here's what I'm, I'm struggling with, I guess. And, and you're always the one to kind of sober me up and splash water uh, on, on my face um, intellectually. That dude, CZ, is very smart. He's a very good businessman. How could he mm -hmm. accept that crap, that piece of junk, and then be caught with his pants down? You know what I mean? Like, well, here is the thing: like, Binance yeah. is literally dealing with hundreds of projects, right? Many hundreds, and the company has grown extremely quickly as well. So I'm not sure that CZ himself, you know, oversaw that, and. Then, like for whatever reason, this resurfaced. This is a subject of discussion, and they are like, "Oh, oh you know, like some higher ups are like, oh, oh, this doesn't make sense, right? We need to unwind that in some way." Mm. That, yeah, I think that would fair. be my expectation of of what happened. So, in that sense, I would think it's more likely that the CoinDesk article precedes the decision to sell than than Binance, you know, like tipping CoinDesk. Hey, everyone! Quick edit here. It does appear that Ian Allison has since cleared up the rumors about a Binance link uh, to Coindesk that basically set all this off. Uh, as you'll hear in this clip that was taken from Woo Blockchain, which we'll link to in the show notes. Uh, this, I want to see on the record for everyone, this did not come from Binance. This, this, this balance sheet did not come to us by, by a Binance. Uh, so I just wanted to to see all that to start with thanks thanks again for listening now back to the rest of the episode mm. someone tipped him i wonder if it was maybe someone yeah. inside of of uh of ftx on the I, I think it's more likely yes yeah that's that's would be my expectation one thing's for sure is that uh, as we move from this we're going to learn more and more and more especially as uh as the heat gets turned up on on that crew in the in in the bahamas uh but uh, just to kind of tie a button here on cz He's an interesting figure, um, still a relatively young guy, um, born in China, uh, came to Canada, I guess, um, or as we say in the United States, Canada, um, when he was around 12, give or take. Um, really kind of a, again, a, a, you keep using the word heroic figure, but he really, he, you know, at least his public persona uh, is kind of, he worked at McDonald's service sector jobs. Uh, at least that's that's the legend, and um, you know, sold all of his uh, sold all of his um, his belongings in 2013 ish to buy Bitcoin, and 
kind of rolled the dice and you know well so, i mean when we work at mcdonald's you probably don't have that many belongings to begin with <laughs> well yeah i'm i'm you know i <laughs> i kind of conflated them all as one thing but you know at some <laughs> point he worked at mcdonald's i don't think he was working at mcdonald's and sold um but uh yeah um yeah he's you know he's he's got he's got kind of a nice i guess he lives in dubai now which is interesting um for a bunch of reasons uh which i also heard again <laughs> i what's funny is i'm not a conspiracy guy at all but i've heard that that was a a place that uh some of the uh, ftx guys wanted to escape to especially caroline uh from alameda uh because they don't have an extradition treaty with with the us and i'm not sure if that's true at all uh but one of the things that yeah, uh, yeah it's yeah it's ahead. very difficult to extradite from dubai uh and when you come to finance and stuff like that they are quite loose like way looser than western countries so if you committed some kind of financial crime it's you know it's a good plan to go there yeah. um for instance it was discovered not so long ago that uh, uh ruja ignatova is also in dubai yeah that's the Or one she was uh, mm -hmm. recently right and it seems that she settled there yeah that's that's the uh, missing crypto queen Mm -hmm. um ruja uh ignatova she's um part of one coin which uh this is going to rival that and 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 in terms of uh private financial scams i'm going to say this is going to overtake it uh the ftx affair but um interesting that cz chose to live there uh i believe sam uh, bankman fried sbf um had an antagonist relationship with uh, cz at least online and uh was quoted uh, or tweeted uh, recently just before all this broke down is uh when they were having the the kind of heated debate about regulation is that uh, i guess sam kind of abated him and said hey you know why don't you come to dc you know and show up with me and and uh oh or can you can you are you allowed to come to dc sort sort of thing you know kind of a, a mild smack in the face so um there's <sighs> hmm I'm trying to wind this up and I just keep finding more connections in my head but uh um do you do you Yeah think? that's that's the thing with that story right like it's it's just stating the fact like I don't know who was saying that but just stating the fact of the story make you sounds like Alex Jones right like there is <laughs> the story is so crazy in all kind of direction and the more is revealed the more crazy it gets Yeah yeah and I The DeFi is getting some of the blame, and also some of the uh, some of the. Um, I, I guess it would be kind of considered a, a savior, uh, or you know, if, if if you know we don't trust custodial centralized exchanges, and you know the argument, um, a lot of this uh, could have been avoided. And uh, the reason I, I bring it up is that um, Jeff Garzik, who um, obviously has his own. Uh, history with Bitcoin core. Mm -hmm. uh, he's now leading block and uh, Vesper. Um, he tweeted out uh, just a day or so ago, um, an old tweet. Um, he basically said that uh, back in 2020, uh, SBF tried to run the same FTT FDV scam on a DeFi platform. And that was cream. And um, basically, you know, he tried to do this. SBF has two years ago tried to do this Uh, with cream finance kind of a similar caught uh, by uh, DeFi people who who outed him publicly and just said hey you know this is ridiculous and um I'm trying to think of the fellow's name i think it was spencer noon 
Is that the film I think? Um, yeah, uh, Spencer uh, Noon was the guy who kind of caught him back in October, almost two years to the day, and he wrote uh, that uh, that you know that Sam had basically you know he's definitely trying to uh, um, to pull one over on them uh, with this worthless token, so he couldn't. But, but can so. But, where were the signs? We could not see that coming. Where were the signs? I don't understand. <laughs> People don't know the sarcasm in your voice. Right, right. And this was a full two years ago. <clears throat> so it, so my question, because you're, you're a bit of a, as far as I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, you're a, um, a skeptic of DeFi, or you were initially. Is, is, is decentralized finance kind of the answer here or part of it? Or, or what do you think? I mean, yeah, I'm uh, like, I don't want to throw everything away in DeFi because there are some good stuff, but obviously like a lot of that is like you borrow this to get that, to borrow that, to use that collateral with this and yada, yada. And at the end, like it's very circular and there is nothing, you know, there's nothing at the root of it. Right. And, and all that activity can create a lot of value on paper. And for people who cash out early enough, right? But then it's a wine in the other direction. Um, it's, you know, the, the magic of leveraging stuff. Uh, <laughs> you, can, you can create a lot of value on paper, but if you don't cash out, it can also disappear in the other direction just as fast. So it's a bit, you know, it's a bit risky. I know that, you know, some people even argue that just like borrowing and lending is bad. The reality is, I don't think it's really the case. Um, but okay, so borrowing and lending is good when you borrow to invest into productive asset that produce more value than the interest rate at which you borrow. And obviously, like there is always the possibility of getting it wrong, but in general, that's you know that's the situation in which borrowing is good. So every time there is borrowing going on you have to wonder like what is this money going toward and as the, you know is that thing some kind of productive asset that's going to produce at least as much as the interest rate of the borrowing and if yes then there is no problem it's just like speaking up the economic growth of the system but when this is not the case you know that at some point this is going to unwind and this is really bad and when you look at what's going on in defi like a good 95% of it, at least, is the second kind, right? It doesn't go in productive assets. Um, so so that's a very dangerous environment because you don't know when it's going to unwind. And when it's going to unwind, a lot of value just goes poof. Yeah. And uh, it's funny because we used to say this all the time. And people would uh, cite Mises and Rothbard and others who had warned about this kind of stuff forever. And it seemed like we we're having this classical debate, you know, over and over again. And to see it happen in real time, you know, it went five days, November 6th, 6th uh, you know, FTX was saying, ah, oh, this is just a competitor trying to rattle our cage. November 11th, they'd formally filed for bankruptcy in the Bahamas. I mean, amazing. That's an amazing turn of events. This guy had. At, at one point, they were saying 20, this SBF now, $29 billion. He wasn't even 30 years old. Now he's, you know, it's essentially, well, I'm sure he's got money on his own, but on, on paper. Yeah, that money, it went somewhere. 
<laughs> I agree. It's, I totally it went agree. somewhere. And he probably managed that somewhere includes himself. Yeah. So in the final final few minutes here, let's uh, let's let's talk a little bit about eCash. Um, how how does eCash does it does it address any of this stuff? Uh, does it does it is it part of the answer to to what we're talking about? It really depends how you define the problem, but yeah, the, the kind of problem we've been tackling with eCash are our problem of usability. Um, and this is really what we want to focus on because if you don't have that at the root of things, then you are building a scaffolding that is not built on, on good foundation and it always unwind at some point. So like, you know, looking back at, at Binance, so Binance is listing eCash, obviously, and recently we've released... Um, the avalanche consensus mechanism. And with that, we can get one block finality. And you know, what do you know? Binance is one of the first exchange that is willing to leverage that to provide to their user one block finality. So, you know, it loops back to what we were saying at the beginning, where they are willing to move very fast with new project and, and deploy new stuff very quickly. So that's, that's very nice. I hope the rest of, of the exchanges and the space in general is going to follow. That would be fantastic um, because this is by improving the user experience that you know we improve the, the value of the project and you know everything else is based on that right um, because anything that is not based on that is it's just accounting trick and the value is gonna just go poof at some point can go very high though before it goes poof but it's gonna go poof at some point yeah yeah. Fantastic! Uh, it's great to hear that uh, Binance is is has gone to uh, to take him and Gunsir's uh, and Co's um, um, innovation here and um, and see that uh, a, a project like eCash is is making good use of it. Um, and I agree. I agree that that's at least part of the answer. That um, useful, utilitous, you know, medium of exchange, store of value, all of that kind of comes together. On uh, one thing, so um, that's that's really really good to hear. Um, so that's a perfect, I think, place to to end it. Um, how can people find your work, Almarie? Kind of keep up with you, um, and uh, and keep up with with with, with all that you're doing. Uh, I'd say so. BitcoinABC.org. If you want to follow the development of eCash or e.cash for you know everything related to eCash, otherwise for me personally, it's gonna be Didelnix pretty much everywhere. Um, where I'm most active is probably on Twitter, and yeah, that's um, that's that's it. Very good. Well, I know you're a busy man. You're being pulled in about a thousand different directions, and I appreciate you taking time out to uh, to talk to us here um, to kind of make this little historical record. Uh, I really do appreciate it, man. And uh, hopefully, we'll have you back on soon. Yeah, and you know what? Um, I have time for you. I wish, I wish this podcast grows a ton because the quality in there is really, really high. And I'm just just saying, like, I don't know about that episode, right? I don't want to judge that episode because I mean it, and and you know, this is very partial. But in general, the quality is very high, and and I think the the space would really benefit from this kind of content being more popular. That's nice of you to say. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, you've always uh, you've always done right by me. So um, excellent, man. Uh, thank you again so much. And uh, and we'll be in touch soon. Ciao, ciao.